does science disprove God? See, like controversy, right? Does science disprove God? I was a science major in college. I love science. It's sad to me that people seem to think science lives in a little world over here and faith lives in a little world over here and you can't bring them together. They're like magnets. You know when you played with magnets when you were a kid and you knew they weren't going to go together but you tried to make them anyway and you get them closer and closer and closer together and then they kind of go like that. You know, they're not going to go together. People kind of act like faith and science are that way too. It's sad. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Does science disprove God? That is what we're going to be talking about today, Jason. We are talking about that question because that is an an initial question that needs to be answered essentially in our minds. When we asked these questions, these six questions to the students this past summer, we started with this because when you are determining uh, the creation story versus the Big Bang and how did all of creation happen and begin, it obviously involves science and God. You know, so we we ask that question before we even move on to any other question. And these days, especially as we're recording this in 2022, in the last couple of years, science is a word and a term and an idea that has come up a lot. And it means so many things to different people. There's all different varying definitions, and we're not going to get into all that. But I would say this, Jason, that my perception is that science has taken on a religious feel to it there's there's a there's an adherence to a set of beliefs for a lot of people when they talk about science and a lot of what i see when people talk about science isn't scientific it's more faith-based i agree i think when we start to go down that road there is that separate camp where the the people of science and maybe more a secular approach, they look at those who believe in God and faith and they, they claim we are anti-science and claim that because we believe in a, a higher power that you are against scientific proof. And that is not what we're saying at all. We're saying there, there is a conjoined effort to prove that, that there is a God that exists and science is all a part of his creation and we believe in science but the religious aspect of science that you talk about is is this absolute just like we say there's an absolute truth or absolutely there god did create the universe and the world and us essentially science as i look at it is something that can be measurable testable and repeatable and when you look at that world and then you look at the faith world because We're going to get into this talk here as we introduce it. But as you get into both those worlds, like you're saying, Jason, it seems like a lot of people think that they they, there's no overlap between the two. And here's what I would say as we're thinking about our work with students is when we consider science and we consider faith, everyone here has an element of faith. Every person, there's something that we put our faith in. I often use the example of if you're driving on a bridge You're putting your faith in that bridge. You're putting your faith in the people that built that bridge. 
that designed it, that inspect it on a regular basis, hopefully. That use science to create it. Yes. Yeah, so all those things, you're, you're putting your faith in driving across that bridge in a car. And so whether anyone wants to admit it or not, we live by faith in something, in some way, and in some form. So this, this kind of surface idea that, well, science and faith can't coexist, I just don't believe in that premise. I don't think that really stands up to, to true day-to-day life experience. And in this episode, Michelle does a great job presenting both sides and presenting really good logical reason why there is a God that exists and he created us. And yet also poses the question of if you believe the the opposite, then you have to have a lot of faith in that reason without any real tangible evidence. Because we weren't there in the beginning. That's the ultimate thing is none of us listening to this episode was there in the beginning. So you have to have some element of faith to believe one way or the other. So where we're going here in the next few minutes is we're listening to Michelle Rewa. She has been... Uh, repeated guest on our podcast before, and you're hearing a live talk that she gave in the summer of 2021 at NTS camp. And this is part one of six in this mini series that we're doing. And we're going to be listening to Michelle in each episode, answer six foundational questions about faith. And this first one is, does science disprove God? So let's listen in to Michelle's talk to students about this question. to camp probably for 10 years, once a year for 10 years, three times, this is my third time this summer. There have been groups way bigger than you, but you all win the award for like best spirit ever. (laughs) Ever. I have never been part of a group that has had this much energy in the morning for camp. Fabulous. All right, so let me give you a little backstory. When I was a little girl, we had a house out in the country. We had one neighbor across the street. And she was following this kind of deviated version of Christianity, you might call it a cult. And my mom was trying to share Jesus with her and do some Bible studies and have some conversations, you know, like the real Jesus. And I can remember as a little girl asking my mom, but how do we know we are right? Have you ever wondered that? How do we know we are right? There are all these people all over the world following different paths sincerely. How do we know we are right? I was part of a small group once. This kind of a question came up, and one of the girls in my small group said, well, I just have faith. Well, that's a real spiritual churchy answer, right? But... I'm not sure that's a good answer. I'm not sure we should just believe things just to believe things. I think we should have reasons for why we believe things. So I don't know if you come to camp this week like strongly committed or deeply skeptical or somewhere in the midst of that range, but I think we should all be living lives in pursuit of truth, seeking truth, wanting to live by truth. So this week in our morning sessions, we're going to go through six questions about faith and about life, and we're going to try to pursue some truth together. 
And in between each question, you'll get a break, so we won't get brain overload. You might feel like you're gonna get brain overload at some point, but I promise, everybody has made it so far this summer, so you will too, okay? So each of these six questions has a layer of controversy about them, which is what makes them interesting. But you know, controversy it can kind of make us angsty sometimes, you know, like you can get this emotional reaction when controversial things come up. So I want you to think about a couple of things as we get started. Number one, I want you to be thinking, try not to let your reaction overcome your reason. Okay, or maybe think about it this way. I want you to make sure your reason triumphs over your reaction. We're a very feelings-based cu uh, culture. Everybody says, well, I feel like this, and I feel like this. And feelings are good. Feelings are part of life. We should acknowledge how we feel. But at the end of the day, as I seek truth, how I feel doesn't change what is true. Okay? Secondly, let's just acknowledge in the world over the last couple of years, there's been this attitude like disagreement equals hate. We're just not going to do that here, okay? Disagreement does not equal hate. At the end of this week, if you disagree with something that I've said, I hope your disagreement is based on reasons and not based on feelings. I hope your disagreement is because we're seeking truth. But if you disagree with me, that's okay. I have friends who are atheists. They think I'm crazy. It's fine. We can still be friends even if we disagree, okay? We just disagree nicely. It's all right. Okay, so those are the two things I want you to be thinking about as we get started with question number one. Does science disprove God? See, like controversy, right? Does science disprove God? I was a science major in college. I love science. It's sad to me that people seem to think science lives in a little world over here and faith lives in a little world over here and you can't bring them together. They're like magnets. You know, when you played with magnets when you were a kid and you knew they weren't going to go together, but you tried to make them anyway and you get them closer and closer and closer together and then they kind of go like that. You know, they're not going to go together. People kind of act like faith and science are that way too. It's sad. I don't love all science. Some science is dead boring, but I love the life sciences and how life science kind of intersects with faith. So we're going to do a little science this morning. I want you to think back to science class. I want you to just go far back in time to the beginning of time, to the beginning of the universe. There's a theory about the beginning of the universe. What's it called? The Big Bang. The Big Bang. We're not here today to put our stamp of approval on all aspects of the Big Bang theory. But there's some interesting things about the Big Bang theory that both Scientists who believe in, in a God and scientists who say, they say there is no God, both sides kind of agree about the Big Bang theory, which is interesting. There have been other theories proposed over the years. There's a new theory right now called the Big Bounce. If you like science, you can look it up. But it seems like all of those theories kind of get pushed aside. People keep coming back to the Big Bang. And one of the principles of the Big Bang is that the universe had a beginning. It is not infinite. It has not existed forever. At some point in time, it began. And for you MCU fans, if there's a multiverse where Doctor Strange is out fighting over and over and over and over until the bad guy gives up, even the multiverse had a beginning. And before the beginning, there was nothing. Before the beginning, there was nothing. 
So, we have this big bowl with us today, this big bowl full of nothing. There it is. See? Nothing. Now, technically, for you science people, I know there must be a few of you in the room, technically, this bowl has air in it. Technically. It's invisible, but it's there. So I want you to pretend that we could seal off this bowl and somehow vacuum the air out while keeping the bowl intact. Then it would truly be a bowl full of nothing, right? And that is what existed before the universe. Nothing. And there's this principle that says something does not come from nothing. Think about that for a second. Something does not come from nothing. For instance, we just played this candy bar game, and as much as I would love for a Three Musketeers bar to just bang into existence on the stage, it's not going to happen because there's nothing, and something does not come from nothing. And before the universe existed, there was nothing. And when I look out at the Earth, at the Moon, at the Sun, at the stars, at the Milky Way, at the cosmos of the galaxy, that's a whole lot of something. Where did it come from? And what's interesting is that this something that we have has all these mathematical perfections that exist, that have had to exist right from the moment the universe began. Um, let's watch. I've got, I've got a good explanation for you about these mathematical perfections. Let's take a look. From galaxies and stars down to atoms and subatomic particles, the very structure of our universe is determined by these numbers. These are the fundamental constants and quantities of the universe. Scientists have come to the shocking realization that each of these numbers has been carefully dialed to an astonishingly precise value, a value that falls within an exceedingly narrow, life-permitting range. If any one of these numbers were altered by even a hair's breadth, no physical, interactive life of any kind could exist anywhere. There'd be no stars, no life, no planets, no chemistry. Consider gravity, for example. The force of gravity is determined by the gravitational constant. If this constant varied by just one in 10 to the 60th parts, none of us would exist. To understand how exceedingly narrow this life-permitting range is, imagine a dial divided into 10 to the 60th increments. To get a handle on how many tiny points on the dial this is, compare it to the number of cells in your body or the number of seconds that have ticked by since time began. If the gravitational constant had been out of tune by just one of these infinitesimally small increments, the universe would either have expanded and thinned out so rapidly that no stars could form and life couldn't exist, or it would have collapsed back on itself with the same result, no stars, no planets, and no life. Or consider the expansion rate of the universe. This is driven by the cosmological constant, a change in its value by a mere one part in 10 to the 120th parts would cause the universe to expand too rapidly or too slowly. In either case, the universe would, again, be life-prohibiting. Or another example of fine-tuning. 
If the mass and energy of the early universe were not evenly distributed to an incomprehensible precision of one part in 10 to the 10 to the 123rd, the universe would be hostile to life of any kind. The fact is, our universe permits physical, interactive life only because these, and many other numbers, have been independently and exquisitely balanced on a razor's edge. Okay, so those numbers are so big, they kind of hurt my brain, right? I know we had a mathlete in the room last night. Maybe you understand. <laughs> Maybe you get an understanding of those numbers. They're enormous. You're going to be, that people are going to remember you forever for that. Those numbers are enormous, but that's kind of the point. Like, the universe is perfect, perfect from nothing. How could that be? It's incredible, okay? Now, I want to take you in a different direction. Over here to my right, this is rock. It's not the rock. That would be different. This is just rock. Rock, rock might be pretty old um, because it's not new baby rocks being born. So rock has probably been around for a real long time. People argue about ages of things. So I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years. I don't know. Rock is really old though, right? And in all that time, Rock has never come to life because rock is abiotic. You remember that term? Yeah, abiotic. Pulling it out from sixth grade science class. Rock is abiotic, non-living. Rock has never been alive. Rock will never be alive. You're not worried when you go outside that all the rocks are going to rise up against you because rocks aren't alive. Maybe some of you are. Now, let's say as a scientist, I take rock and I put rock in a beaker because scientists use beakers, you know, it'd be a big beaker. And I add some things to my experiment. I put in some other naturally occurring elements, you know, maybe change the pressures around rock, maybe some weather conditions or some, some electricity. It doesn't matter what I put in my bowl or what I do to my experiment, rock is never going to come to life. None of those things are going to come to life because all of those things that were part of the early earth, they were all non-living things. And there's this other principle that says life doesn't come from non-life. We have never seen it happen naturally, and we have never been able to make it happen in a laboratory. Life doesn't come from non-life. And the life that exists on Earth, even in its simplest form, a single-celled animal, has a one circular strand of DNA that has to be just right for that animal to be alive. And you, you are made up of all those cells that work like little factories in your body, little cells you can't even see unless you have a microscope. And inside each cell are 22 chromosomes, and in each chromosome are 3.1 billion pairs of DNA that have to be just right for you to be who you are. So, let's do a quick review. We have life on Earth of molecular complexity, living in a universe held in mathematical balance, that all came from nothing. 
and we have no observable, testable, repeatable, man-made experiments or natural instances of any of that happening on its own. So you're left with two choices. Either there is an intelligent, creative, powerful designer or a perfect cosmic accident that happened for no reason all by itself. Both positions are positions of faith because no one was there to see any of it happen. You get to decide what you believe. But I'm going to encourage you, if you're going with the accident theory, you probably should come up with some evidence, some evidence for how that could happen all by itself from nothing. It is more reasonable to believe in that intelligent, powerful designer, that one we would call a creator. And if there is a creator, then we can try to discover who that creator is and what our purpose might be. We can try to discover our purpose when we recognize there's a creator. So, first big thought for this morning. Something does not come from nothing. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.